You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. From the author of the book by the same name, it's The Best Saturdays of Our Lives Podcast with Mark McFray. Hey everybody, welcome to the latest episode of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. I am being joined here with my co-host, Dan Klink. Hey everybody. Hey Mark, good to be back. Yeah, it's great to be back. And today we are going to tackle the cutesy baby trend. We sort of talked about this uh, earlier, how the Smurfs television series sort of created a new trend of cutesy shows, you know, during the Smurfs episode. But now we are actually going to take a deep dive into how the influence of the Smurfs franchise, you know, the type of effect that it had on Saturday morning programming. Right, right. Uh, specifically, the Smurfs opened up a trend of, of scale, if you will, small, sh- tiny, itty bitty. Uh, and they also had the ancillary effect of being super cute. Well, that opened up the entire other branch of the cutesy baby trend. Just the squishable, lovable, huggable products, uh, animation, everything that made your children, or I guess I was a child then, uh, wanted me to run out and buy everything uh, stuffed and fluffy. Right. And so since we talked about the uh, Smurfs earlier, and which also included the Snorks, we're not going to talk about those two franchises in right. this episode. We're going to talk about all the other shows. We're going to get some weird stuff like uh, like the Trollkins, things like that. <laughs> yeah, the Trollkins. And so this was a sort of typical business practice of Hanna-Barbera where they would sell one show to a network. For example, in the 70s, they did it with Speed Buggy. It mm-hmm. was sold to CBS, and Speed Buggy was a talking car right. that had eyes and a personality and hung out with teenagers and tried to solve mysteries. But then later, they sold Willie and the Chopper Bunch over the NBC. And in this storyline, it was more talking cars, except it was a city of talking cars and trucks. There were also motorcycles and and and, and gangs. It, you know, I look at Willie and the Chopper Bunch as uh, Speed Buggy, you know, 2.0 almost. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. And, and they sort of did a similar thing with the Trollkins, you know, because you had these little cutesy characters. And it was sold the same year that the Smurfs came out over the CBS. So it was sort of a combination of the Smurfs. And of all shows, the Dukes of Hazard. The Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, right, right. Um, I can just, yeah. I mean, how do you, uh, how do you, how do you make a, a squishable, plushable boss hog? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. You know, they all they lived in trees, and there was a lot of racing and cars and action. But uh, the Trollkins didn't exactly uh, become the hit because it was up against the Smurfs, which became a huge hit. You know, I'm not sure if the Trollkins would have uh, been a hit if they were up against uh, in the morning news. <laughs> no offense. Yeah, yeah, I know. You're probably right. You're probably right, you know. But uh, I have to give it the Hanna-Barbera. You know, they're just like, oh, you know, maybe they were thinking, you know what? The the Smurfs is going to be a huge show. Why not start to cash in on the trend before the trend actually starts Right. and sell CBS a sort of knockoff? Right. version of the smurfs and oh or, boy yeah 
the animation TV world back in the 80s was a pretty small world. Right. Who knows? Maybe someone from Hanna-Barbera mentioned to the executives over at CBS is like, hey, I'm hearing that the NBC is developing the Smurfs and it's going to be huge. You guys need to jump on the bandwagon and, uh, you know, maybe buy a show from us. <laughs> oh, of course. Of course. Be ready to compete. Because in my opinion, you know, I just thought it was kind of weird that the Trollkins were pitted against the Smurfs. I, I feel like that was done on purpose. Right. But it backfired. So Yeah. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah. The Smurfs meets Dukes of Hazard. Wow. I mean, today that sounds like fun. Today it's a, that, that sounds like, well, that, that, that kind of sounds like an Adult Swim one-off, doesn't it? <laughs> sounds yeah. like it sounds like an episode of Harvey Birdman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Now, at, at, uh, at that time, there was another show, Quickie Koala. Right, yeah. Also developed and created in 1981 by Hanna-Barbera. This one, though, uh, this is uh, uh, it was the last series created by veteran animator Tex Avery, uh, which uh, was looking to take a kind of a, uh, a new take on the Droopy character, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so unfortunately, Tex Avery uh, died during the production of this series. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, Tex Avery and William Hanna and Joe Barbera, they go back, way back to when Bill and Joe were working on the original Tom and Jerry theatrical shorts. Oh, yeah. And Tex Avery was at the same studios, MGM, working on uh, the Droopy cartoon. Well, Tex so, Avery's a giant. Uh, he, did, he did a lot of work with Warner Brothers as well, didn't he? Yeah, yes, ex yes, correct. Um, so, yeah, so Tex Avery was this really great animation director. And, in fact, uh, at one point on Cartoon Network, we used to air the Tex Avery show, which right. was a right. half hour of all of his great shorts. Right. So the, the cool thing about this series was that it did pretty good ratings-wise, Quickie. And, you know, it was like the last uh, a, a great collaboration between Tex Avery and Hanna-Barbera. And his last series, his last production. Yeah, unfortunately. Right. Um, well, at least he went out with a bang. You know what I mean? It wasn't like it was a flop. You know. Oh, what absolutely. I mean? Right. I think I think it would have been a sad story if if people didn't embrace this series, but they did. So right. So that's a good thing. It's a benchmark for the entire growing trend. It just kind of shows how uh, how how a giant in the industry over over the decades can still has their their finger on the pulse. Right, exactly. Because it's kind of interesting that he kind of jumped in right as this cutesy trend was starting, you know. Right. It's just really interesting that he just came in and just, you know, developed this series. So, right. yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. And, you know, I've said this, if I haven't said it before in previous podcast episodes, it's the executives, you know, television executives or production executives that have their pulse that have their nose to the grind right trying to figure out what that next trend is going to be those are the guys that always come out on top yep. and i don't care if it's if it's streaming cable or broadcast yep yep so so tex avery was uh definitely one of those type of people that knew when to jump in and, and make something successful that leads us to our next show which i'm not sure if they knew what they were doing it's uh, <laughs> other than other than following a, a trend of marketing or should I say developing Hallmark greeting cards into uh, children's animation properties. Uh, this shows all over the place. Shirt Tales, the Shirt Tales. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Shirt Tales is kind of interesting. You know, um, it was uh, created by uh, Janet Elizabeth Manco at Hallmark Cards. Right. 
And, you know, the characters' shirts would light up and, you know, reveal, like, whatever they were thinking. Right. Uh, but the funny, interesting thing about this series was that it sort of reminds me of Josie and the Pussycats in a way because the shirt tails were actually battling supervillains all over the world. Right. You know, which was kind of a weird premise for such cutesy animals. But they had, they worked with an unseen benefactor that provided them with planes and submarines this, and. <laughs> yeah, right, right. While, while, and this was all done at night because they all lived at a zoo and they were always putting one up, uh, putting one mm-hmm. over on the zookeeper who always right. suspects that they're up to something. But what's. Exactly. I mean, this is like Charlie's Angels, Yogi Bear. James Bond, the Care Bears, all rolled into something that, right. dude, they could not have pulled all of that from a greeting card, a line of greeting oh. cards. I well, mean. you know, I guess they had to, you know, just to make it a little interesting, because if the stories only took place in the park, I think that just would have been a boring storyline. Well, it would have been done before. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So they had to um, make things exciting. And, and, and it's kind of interesting because I... I see this trend a lot, you know. I've been watching um, a lot of Brady Kids episodes lately, mm-hmm. and it was almost the same thing. In every episode, the Brady Kids going up against crooks trying to do something in the, you know, the town that they live in. Right. And, uh, you know, the crooks get arrested at the end, and the Brady Kids sing a song. And, um, again, between the minor bird, you know, jacking, the, jacking up the Brady Kids with... <laughs> His, his magic that never works correctly right, ever. Right. Having the side story of criminals trying to steal jewels or rob banks or whatever the situation is, you know, the writers, you know, were attempting to make this, the show a lot more, uh, serious and interesting. Sure, sure. I just think they try to make it 500 times more interesting and serious. And that's, uh, I mean, they had a car that turned into a boat that turned into a jet. Uh, this, this was. Yeah, it's very James Bond. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, part of it, when it wanted to be, <laughs> would have felt like it. Yeah. Right, right. But here is the thing. Like, you couldn't get any regular people to do all these missions. You know, you had to, you know, bring in the shirt tails. <laughs> well, you know, the shirt tails already had uh, room, board, health care at the zoo. So, I mean, really, and, and if, I don't think I don't think a boat jet car, you know, is 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 cheap. You know, oh, and, and yeah. maybe the invisible benefactor owned the zoo. It maybe yeah, it was maybe, just maybe being just you know fiscally uh, fiscally smart. Who knows? I, I think I don't. I'm not sure 100 percent if it were a zoo. I think it was like a, a park. Oh, that sure. They were at, right, right. You know, right. but but you know, but I still get it. It's like someone is is you know they did have the benefits of living there and being cared for. Right. So you know, to your point. I think that uh, I, I, I kind of feel we're going down a deep rabbit hole here. No, I mean but. it was it was the Reagan eighties. <laughs> it was you know yeah right. Yeah. Oh my gosh! And uh, so let's move on. Sure. Um, <laughs> other cutesy shows included uh, the Puppies New Adventures from nineteen eighty two. Yeah, I never really heard of the, these shows until you had mentioned them to me. They had started out, uh, or, or they they had started out as an after school, or as a. Uh, 
was an after school special. It was no, weekend specials. Started out as a weekend special. Right. Uh, developed into a series, uh, and it was these puppies. I'm guessing there was a cat in there, too. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think okay. they were just puppies, but just puppies. I'm with you. I never heard of this series until, right. until I started, you know, working as a programmer on Boomerang and, right. and just looking into the library to see what shows we had available. I'm like, right, right. Puppies New Adventures. Right. Oh, okay. What I found interesting is the, the, the crux of the, the first season is they're, they're lost. They need to find their family. They need to find their owners and they're journeying across the world trying to reunite with their family. Right. What right. was and usually a show like that, you know, that's the show, that's the hook. You never get a final episode in children's programming. You never really get a resolution. It just, you know, once once the new season is nothing but reruns, you know that it's done. They find the family. Yeah, they find the family in the second season. Right. Which was um now called uh, the puppies further adventures mm-hmm. um and i you know i thought that was you know okay first of all the ratings for this show must have been great because to your point the show usually doesn't get concluded but for season two they decided to actually reunite the puppies with the family which you know never happened on saturday right. morning right definitely not in the 80s or 70s or before uh, so that was pretty progressive and then there was also a third season called The Puppy's Greatest Adventures, and that uh, ran from 84 to 1986. Right. Yeah, so this series that none of us have ever heard of before, <laughs> it had legs. It went from, uh, in one incarnation or another, from 78 to 86. Eight years yeah. that product was thrown out there to us. Right, right. So this was a a really great show that did really great ratings uh, for ABC, and now seems to be just a forgotten property, right. unfortunately. Now, to be fair, Dan was actually in the demographic when this show came out. <laughs> it's, this is on me, people. This is on me. This is I dropped the ball. This is totally my fault. Uh, no, I own that. I own that. Yeah. <laughs> I, however, had moved on and was not watching as much Saturday morning. But, you know, it just goes to show you that sometimes you just can't catch everything. Right, right, right. Did you ever wonder why there are 24-hour kid networks? In my book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, I write about how Saturday morning became a competitive business and the proving ground for what would become the 24-hour kid network. My book covers the big bang of the 1960s explosion of high ratings to the early digital age of Saturday morning's last hurrah, the 1990s. You can purchase my book by going to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com and I will ship you a signed copy. I'm Brittany Petrino. I'm Martha Bartlett. And this is But First, Let's Talk Nerdy. Clink. Oh, how was that? That's going to be our promo. (laughs) (laughs) Done. Cut it, Kevin. Send it. Bam. But first, let's talk nerdy. It's two nerd girls talking about nerdy things over a couple of drinks. What could go wrong? Part of the ESO Network. Well, one thing we did catch, and I caught it hard, I still have at least a portion of the theme song stuck in my head, the Monchichis. Oh, yeah. Monchichis, the Monchichis. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. um, Another cutesy show with monkey-like creatures based on a, a, a toy line of plushed animals. 
this was a Japanese property prior, right? Right. So that there was a Monchichi twin series that aired in 1980. And then, you know, the series was adapted for American television in 1983. And there were some other uh, series that came afterwards, but, you know, that were produced uh, by uh, uh, the French uh, television. Um, right. Two different companies, a stop motion series and another series. But we're not going to get into that right now because of right. time constraints. We're going to move on. Monchichi's oh. the Monch. You, you say we move on. I've yet to move on. But anyway, let's <laughs> let's move on. Yeah. Hey, man, I sing theme songs around here all the time, much to the chagrin of my family. Oh, so dude, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I get it. They did a good job drilling those awesome theme songs in our heads. Oh, you know? yeah. The borderline, like, MK Ultra level Freudian <laughs> mind control job getting those into our heads. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we should also bring up um, Alvin and Chipmunks, which also uh, came out in 83. Right. Um, we sort of talked about it. Uh, earlier in our um, music episode, but this was also big, and they used, um, I think you had mentioned that they used a lot of uh, licensed music. Yeah, if I remember, yeah, they used licensed music. I think Alvin and the Chimics is a great example when a show crosses genres and really nails it, you know, because not only is Alvin and the Chipmunks, yeah, as we got into in a prior episode, just, just full-on MTV-era rock and roll, you just want to hug them, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, a really cool thing about Alvin and the Chipmunks, uh, this version that ran many, many years on NBC, uh, the series also ran on Cartoon Network and did great ratings for us for a long time. Um, it was right. one of those shows that uh, just kept giving, you know? It so, had legs. Uh, it was, oh, yeah. What, what do they say in the industry? Right, right, right. Yeah, you know, like, I love it when a show starts out on Saturday morning and then is later syndicated and then proves itself all over again in, this, in the cable uh, uh, market. It's right. just a, an amazing. And not a lot of cartoons have been able to achieve that. Right. Um, even though I said we weren't going to talk about the Smurfs, I have to say that the Smurfs was also one of nope, those shows that, one of them. That's right. <laughs> that did all of those things. That's Saturday right. morning, that's syndication, right. cable television. Well, you, you know, know. Yo, dude, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that. Let's, uh, because uh, Jim Henson did all of that in reverse. You know, the Muppets came out. I mean, it's, 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 their inception is kind of, you know, bored out with Sesame Street, even going back to Alpo dog commercials in the 60s into the 70s. Certainly of the Muppet movies, The Muppet Show. In 1984, uh, Jim Henson, you can now find him on, uh, I think it was CBS, if I'm not mistaken. Right, right. The Muppet Show aired on most of the CBS owned and affiliate stations uh, in New York anyway, ran at 730. Right. And it was a huge, huge hit. 730 p.m. Right, right. <laughs> the logical progression, the growth of the of the Jim Henson empire was the Muppet Babies. Right, right. The whole thing was based on the positive reaction they received from the audience during that, just there was a couple of minutes in the movie uh, "The Muppets Take Manhattan" right. during a music sequence where it shows them all as babies, and everyone just went nuts for just those couple of minutes of film that they developed an entire series, an entire very, very successful series out of that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing, you know. And we'll talk about this a little later. The Muppet Babies 
was part of this whole cutesy trend. But what is interesting was it also started a, a sub trend of uh, established franchises all of a sudden converting their characters into yes. younger or baby characters. Right. And this is not something new. I mean, you know, you had the Archie comic book, but there was also the equally popular little Archie comic book. Mm-hmm. This isn't exactly a new trend. I thought it was really smart that the Muppet Babies took advantage or or Jim Henson's company took advantage of the trend. Oh, yeah. And this show, The Muppet Babies, was a huge, huge success for CBS. Oh, yeah. Oh, this this show was, was an absolute juggernaut. This show was so popular, but also connected, because you look at the provenance of Henson Studios at the time, his connections with Lucasfilm. Uh, this show, they were not only allowed to do a full send up of star wars where all of the characters you know kermit is luke skywalker miss piggy is princess leia gonzo is darth vader you weren't able to do, have that kind of cross-pollination certainly not with the budget that most of these uh, the, the cartoons were dealing with there was right. no way uh and at the same, but all the way to the point where you there's an actual scene there's they show uh, a shot from from Star Wars in the opening credits of this show, you know, wow, dude, that that was you know they didn't pay there, there was there wasn't a paycheck, you know, there, no nobody wrote a check for that. You know that was a handshake. It had to have been, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Wow, that's something. But you know, the show did really well for a long time, and there's lots of episodes. They got you know full episode renewals, and this was a rarity also on Saturday morning. So the deal was, if your show did pretty good, you you know, the series might get renewed with no episodes or might get renewed with half episode orders. Right. That might be anywhere from one to eight episodes. Right. Or you get a full episode order, and that's anywhere from 13 to 15 new episodes per season. Right. Per seasons. And the Muppet Babies fell into that category. Right. There were other shows on Saturday morning that did, but it didn't happen a lot. And right. uh, it just sort of proved the... Uh, the ratings power of this show that the network wanted to keep it fresh and keep episodes coming in. And, and, uh, they were very pleased, obviously with the performance oh, yeah. of the Muppet babies. Oh, All yeah. those episodes would not have been ordered. Well, again, you know, he, the Henson had been established 15, 20 years prior to this. And it was on the strength of his creative team. It was on the strength of the writers as well as the puppeteers. With this, this really speaks to the the writers specifically that were working with Henson Productions at the time, right? Because just like the you know, if 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 it was just a bunch of puppets, you know, nobody it, it it wouldn't have it wouldn't have continued. If it was just a cartoon with a bunch of you know anapomorphic baby animals and whatever like the character animal is, uh, you know, it would have just been another show. This mm-hmm. really speaks to the creative genius. That, that has always been Jim Henson Productions. Right. And uh, the series also had added value um, having um, the actress uh, Barbara Billingsley, who played the iconic, you know, mother to the series. The Leave nanny. It to Beaver. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. She was the legs. She was like this, because all you would see were her ankles <laughs> up to her knee. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, so that was like uh, impeccable casting also. 
you know, because she had the right inflections and the right tones. And, you know, she was motherly. And that's exactly what that series needed. So that's uh, another creative uh, input that I think really worked for this series. Right. More positive than a New Day pancake. More fun than a super kick party. It's the wrestling podcast from the host who is the hammer swinging, burrito eating, well you know the rest, of Thunder Talk, Sexy Thor! It's the ring of thunder found in the Thunderverse and among the great podcasts of the ESO Network. Look, we gotta talk. Yeah, Thunder Talk. We're going all kinds of sideways with that sweet nerd junk. Woke nerd junk. It's topical. Political. Dare I say radical. We've got all your latest news and reviews. Hot music. And a whole lot of comedy. But it ain't for kids. Definitely mature content. So let's talk. Let's talk Thunder Talk. Thunder Talk is a proud member of the ESO Network. Well, everybody, I hope you enjoyed listening to Dan and I talk about the cutesy baby trend of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. Uh, We are going to continue this conversation in part two, where we talk about the major influences of the American greeting cards uh, and toy line, which featured the Care Bears, as well as, uh, yeah as well as some other franchises in part two of the cutesy baby trend episode. Yes, that's right. We're going to be getting into that, that good old Care Bear stare. And man, greeting cards, who would have thought? Who would have thought that they were <laughs> they were such, such a deep well of, of, of creative inspiration? Yeah. And then, you know, we're going to uh, maybe take it not so cutesy. If you all remember the gummy bears, they're not just candy. They were they were Disney's uh, foray into Saturday morning cartoons in the eighties. Right. One, one of my personal favorites. Right, and uh, Dan is is definitely going to give you a freaking deep dive of the gummy bears that you will not hear anywhere else. That's right, except for the best Saturdays of our lives podcast. Tune in, people. Don't miss it. You can't miss it. <laughs> The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast is a co-production of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives studios and the Weirdos Workshop. To get a personalized signed copy of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives book, go to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com. This is Mark McRae signing off. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.